It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Katina, when I was stalking you on social media before we started recording, I started on your Instagram, although as I mentioned before we're recording, I do want to talk about TikTok as well, because yes. <laughs> I love that. And I think our listeners know this by now. I'm increasingly getting into TikTok. I thought it was only going to be a phase for me, but no, it's like no sign of stopping. I feel that. (laughs) I love that you can relate because I feel like most of our guests are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) It actually really ties into the audience that you reach anyways, which tends to be millennials and Mm -hmm. people in their 20s. But your work really impacts anybody of any age. And When I was looking at your Instagram, I was excited to see that you shared your word for 2021. And Mm -hmm. we're recording this at the beginning of the year on January 6th. Your word for 2021 is trust. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear you speak more about that. And I'd also love to hear what Jason's word is because I don't think he shared it. And maybe he doesn't even have one. (laughs) But I have been feeling a little wishy-washy about my word. And trust is actually a word that I could maybe settle on. I'm I'm feeling Mm. like decision analysis paralysis type of thing. I'm like, which word do I choose? But when I saw that your word was trust, I was like, ooh, I think that might be my word too. So I'm curious, what does that mean for you? Because Mm. trust can mean a lot of different things. So why did you pick that word for this year? Totally. I mean, it's such a good question and so interesting that your reaction was, I don't really know what word to choose because As soon as I posted that, my fiance Doopy and I kind of take time on New Year's Day or a couple of days after just to reflect together about what we imagine the year or even just time in general to be like. And I ended up coming up with a couple of more words, which I never do. I always try to like choose one word and really channel it and kind of live by that and be reminded by it. But I think this year I chose trust initially. And I still feel it because I think so much of this past year, I, and I'm sure many people can agree, felt like I had planned out so well. You know, I had just gotten engaged. I had this book launch. I uh, starting a company and I feel like I was so into this idea of what I thought that time and life was going to look like. And it, you know, was completely different than what I imagined and in a lot of really good ways and a lot of really difficult ways. And I think what I kept tuning into was my intuition and like really believing that there was, you know, a path ahead and out of this. And I wanted to remind myself of that as I headed into this year to kind of keep channeling that intuitive muscle. But then on the other hand, one of the other words that I'm really resonating with is alive. And I think that's just my big question for this year. How can I come alive in any moment? And how can I make decisions that make me feel most alive, even when I might be sitting at home watching TikToks or something? And TikTok can make you feel alive. Yeah, it totally can, (laughs) of course. But yeah, I feel like a lot of this year was spent for many people feeling like we were waiting for something. And I think there's really beauty and magic in these slower moments and finding space to like feel, yeah, most alive in that. So those are my two. (laughs) I love that because it ties into your passion for purpose too. Mm -hmm. And, And I feel like speaking about being alive is also about being in the present moment And the same thing with trust. It all kind of comes together in that way. And I think it's an incredibly important reminder because you could easily go into this year 2021 feeling really hesitant, Mm -hmm. scared and feeling like, well, nothing's going to go my way. Why should I even plan? And I definitely see this attitude on TikTok. And Mm -hmm. I, I think it's so important for people like you to be on TikTok reminding that we can find ways to cope in a more positive way. It's just fascinating. I think TikTok in general for the younger generations, especially right now, which dominates the platform, you can learn so much about the mentality and the mindset there. 
Mm-hmm. And it just seems like a lot of people feel like they're throwing up their hands and, yeah. and getting really frustrated and expecting bad things to happen, which mm-hmm. makes me really nervous. I want to bring this to you, Jason, because I feel like even though you're in your 40s, you often have that <laughs> feeling, right? And I'm curious with you feeling frustrated, <laughs> and maybe you're not feeling that way today, so correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but what word do you have for this year, if any, or maybe there's words plural? Well, it's interesting you bring this up because I feel like my approach to starting 2021 has broken away. We've talked about this on previous episodes of the podcast that for the last, say, 12 to 13 years, I've had this ritual of making a new vision board or refreshing the old vision board, really declaring my aims and intentions, You know, having about five to seven really potent big aims for the year. And this is the first time since I think probably 2007, 2008, where I didn't create a new vision board. I didn't create an intentions list. I did, however, focus on a word, not necessarily thinking I need to pick a word, but it was something that came up organically for me last year where I was having a, a realization after some psychedelic therapy and some, some talk therapy that came up this realization for me. And the word is joy. Here's why I picked it is because I realized last year, I feel like a lot of us realized a lot of things last (laughs) year and continue to, but one of the big things that was like a, oh my God moment was talking to my mentor about how exhausted I was and how I felt like I wasn't feeling any joy in my work in the world, in my purpose of primarily focusing on being a chef and nutrition mentor and you know, mental health coach and doing this podcast with Whitney, all these things, I just wasn't feeling joy anymore. And I realized that what I had been focusing on almost exclusively was to be of service, be of service, be of service, be of service. And I realized that I was so focused on bringing others joy and relieving their suffering or creating awareness or aha moments for them that I wasn't focusing on my own joy. I thought that just trying to be of service alone, right, in fostering joy and helping to reduce suffering would bring me some joy, but I was so externally focused, I wasn't singing or playing my music. I wasn't focusing on, you know, comedy or taking, you know, enough time in nature, things that inherently brought me joy because I was externalizing, I need to bring others joy. So long story short, my word is joy and I want to return to doing things you know, just for the sake of creation, not because I need to have this affect someone and I need, I need this to ha- get likes and I need to get, how, do, how should I even say this? Something I saw on your website, Katina, mm-hmm. like I need your praise. I need your trophies. Yeah. I'm addicted to getting some sort of validation from my work. Mm-hmm. So the word joy has a lot of layers and connotation for me. And I'm really just digging into like, okay, where is the joy in my life? And if I don't feel it, how can I find it? How can I reconnect to it? Yeah. Jason, I couldn't agree with that more. I feel like I'm uh, smiling so much as you're describing that because to me, that's what like alive symbolizes that word. And I think 2020 for me and hopefully other people has really been almost this like cocoon year of understanding what I'm giving out and kind of that energy exchange that you mentioned where you're constantly giving and also seeking kind of that validation at the same time. And I just started going to therapy this year for the first time. And I feel like that was really the big learning that I've had is that being raised as this, you know, people pleaser, overachiever type of person, you can start to set boundaries around that and really preserve your own energy and joy and, you know, aliveness so that you can give out in a better way. I love that term cocoon year. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that would really resonate with you, Jason. Like, I think (laughs) just imagining you in a little cocoon makes me feel happy. 100%. And, And honestly, that was one of the big, I suppose, metaphors that landed for me deeply. Mm -hmm. I I remember I was watching Dr. Michael Bernard Beckwith, who, who does the agape spiritual Mm -hmm. center. And one of his Sunday sermons, he was talking about the process of being in a cocoon. And there's a point in the chrysalis where, you know, the caterpillar on a cellular level is dissolving Mm -hmm. and these imaginal cells are starting to form to create the butterfly. And there's this battle on a cellular level between the 
old cellular structure of the caterpillar and the new, they call them scientifically, I guess, imaginal cells that are being Mm -hmm. born to reform the cells into a butterfly. And I thought that so wonderfully, that metaphor describes my internal, what felt like a lot of ripping apart in the last year of concepts about myself dissolving and being in this sort of limbo state of, okay, well, what are my imaginal cells doing, so to speak? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's on the other side of this dissolving of so much of my identity and who I thought I was? I feel like I'm still in that process. So, mm-hmm. Katina, I, I love that metaphor of cocooning too. And it reminds me of something that I saw actually talking about social media, mm-hmm. something super potent that last night, you know, when you see a post and you're like, damn, it just hits you in such a profound way. And I discovered, for me, I'd never heard of her, this uh, content creator called Adrienne Marie Brown. And she posted Mm -hmm. a series of tweets yesterday that really, it hit me in the heart. It spoke to what I've been trying to communicate about how I'm feeling. She said, does anyone feel like returning from the 2020 holiday break, the attempts to return from it, really unveiled how working at anything close to a regular breakneck pace during a global pandemic is really too much. That her friend Shoshana Shah MD reminded her of the concept of sleep debt and it got her thinking about grief debt. I'd never heard this term before. That everyone I know is either grieving direct or circumstantial losses in their life with no time for them to come apart and land beyond the the loss in their lives. We need time to grieve, remember, dream, rest, and land. And that just, it, it, it like hit me of, One of the things I think I've been struggling with emotionally is not allowing myself in this cocoon state to process the grief I've been feeling. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those moments, you know, of, wow, I really haven't allowed myself to feel the grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I think it's definitely something that especially even in this period of cocooning and quarantining and, you know, outwardly slowing down, there's still so much of this like constant need to achieve and be productive. I think that's one of my personal main, I think, purposes in life is to kind of undo that layer of, you know, individual and societal conversation and kind of need to always be on and always be working towards something. And I think that when we do that, we really avoid seeing what those feelings are and what that grief is and, you know, many other experiences that we've had. So I think there's so much beauty, but also difficulty in allowing yourself to slow down. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that we're talking about this because it's a common subject matter. And actually, Jason, in real time, I'm wondering if maybe this is like our niche. Because yesterday, Katina, we were mm-hmm. having a, a little side conversation, like maybe we need to niche down more with our work. And in this moment, I'm like, maybe burnout is our niche because it affects us so much mm-hmm. and it affects so many other people. And I think supporting others with redefining their routines and their schedules, their boundaries, all of these things that have led us to feel so burnt out and to feel like we need to be hustling all the time and we're so Mm -hmm. addicted to productivity and efficiency and equating that with our success. And actually, this was in one of your TikTok videos that I wanted to address, Katina, because you said that we're so used to associating productivity with happiness and fulfillment And maybe that's why we're experiencing so much burnout, especially the millennial generations and younger. And I I think this comes back to another thing I want to discuss here is why does it feel like right now adulthood is equated with difficulty and it's like Mm -hmm. overwhelm? You know, Mm -hmm. I notice this so much with my friends. I don't know if my parents so much. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's because they're older and they're like maybe age. I don't know. You just kind of get used to it and you, relax a little. My parents also have a lifestyle right now that feels more relaxed, even though Mm -hmm. they still get stressed. But when I think of my parents, I think of them as like, all right, they're in a routine and Mm -hmm. they're in a completely different generation. It feels like there's a lot of panic with Mm -hmm. 20, 30 and 40 year olds right now. And I'm curious with your work, Katina, like what is the reason that you're coming across and what, why do you think it does feel so overwhelming. And, it, and is adulthood as difficult as we think it is? It's another question. 
You know, it's so fascinating that you say that because one of the main questions when I set out to write this book on adulting and doing so in a mindful and conscious way was like, how did we get here? How did we get to a place where we are the most burnt out, stressed and unfulfilled generation in history, literally? Like, is it technology? Is it the way we were raised? And I think that uncovering some of those pieces of research and reasoning is really helpful in healing and really understanding how we could move forward. So actually, one entire part of the book is like, how did we get to this place? And I was really fascinated by this kind of societal research that was done. The two names of the researchers are escaping me, but they kind of conducted this study on how millennials were raised and, you know, maybe even Gen X a little bit and going forward into Gen Z. But it was that we really moved into, especially in Western countries and in the US specifically, a different type of time where one, education was really prized and kind of required in order to get jobs. So we went from, you know, being able to purchase a home in regular, you know, blue collar salary to having needing multiple degrees. And that kind of shifted the way that parenting styles were. And, you know, not every single person experienced a parent who was kind of this newly dubbed term helicopter parent. But being raised in this generation, you were exposed to that and that kind of societal mindset in general. So I think that you're right in recognizing that your parents and my parents, I mean, my parents, my dad was born in Greece and moved to Brooklyn when he was in his teens. And my mom grew up in, you know, a multifamily house in Queens in New York, and they were not being shepherded to extracurriculars. You know, their parents were like, go play outside, like, do your thing. We literally don't know what you're doing. And they didn't attend college. And then it came to myself and my four siblings, and we were at every single soccer game. My parents were, you know, like helping us sign our papers and, you know, being really involved in school. And I think that kind of way that we were raised from childhood has really determined the way that we are as adults. And I think it's not necessarily our fault as a generation or a group of people, but it also is something that we can play a major hand in reshifting the conversation around. There's so much more to dive into, but yeah. Right, for sure. And this reminds me of the book Selfie. Did you read that one? No, I haven't. Oh, you would love it, but it's actually so much of what you're sharing right now. And and because I, I did also read about those studies or, or similar studies in that book. And the whole book is, what's the subtitle here? How We Became So Self-Obsessed and What It's Doing to Us. And mm. I remember picking up that book thinking it was going to be a lot about like narcissism, mm -hmm. which it certainly addresses. But so much is getting into the historical reasons why the younger generations do seem to be preoccupied with themselves. Mm -hmm. But my interpretation of this book is more like you were just sharing, which is that that's how we were raised. We were raised mm -hmm. by parents that were kind of obsessed with us, <laughs> like they were obsessed mm -hmm. with us being successful, yeah. you know? And my parents, I wouldn't quite define as helicopter parents. They were very loving and supportive, but they also gave me a lot of room to do whatever I wanted. And, mm -hmm. you know, you describing like, how they didn't know what I was doing most of the time, I think was the case. They weren't the type of parents that came to like every performance I did mm -hmm. at school, but they were really committed to me being successful. And that was drilled into my brain over and over and over again growing up. And Jason, I'm curious with you, you've definitely talked about your mom and, and you, you have a great relationship with her, but I know for sure she wasn't what I would perceive as a helicopter parent because she was working a lot. I am curious, Jason, for you, did she like feel like she was determined to have you be a successful person? Or do you think that you got that message from other people? It's an interesting question because if I, if I reflect back on, I suppose, my desire to be a high achiever, it wasn't really because my mom or by proxy, my extended family, you know, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles who were also caregivers to me while my mom was working. I think 
if I really kind of look at what I've unearthed psychologically around it, I think the achiever's mindset that I've had has been out of some sort of survival mechanism Mm -hmm. in the sense that if I am doing really well, then in a very large family where out of necessity for my survival, I'm getting passed between my mom, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, you know, I, I was kind of split between multiple houses for a lot of my young childhood, that that's a way for me to um, again, get attention, validation, feel important, and stand out in my family, right? I won't be abandoned if I'm valuable enough. And mm-hmm. so, since abandonment for me was really and still is kind of my core psychological wound that I work through and, and need to be mindful of in my life of how that shows up, it was, oh, if I'm getting A's and I'm the best student and I'm the best athlete and I'm better than everyone, I'll be way too important and valuable. And by proxy, I'll never be ignored and never be abandoned. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't because my mom or, or my family was pushing me like, you need to get straight A's. That was never a message. I think it was something I just adopted along the way as a survival technique. And realizing that as an adult, this sort of psychotic urge to be the best at everything, you know, realize that A, it's overwhelming and leads to burnout. And I've been, you know, really, really sick because I've worked myself so hard and that Maybe I don't need to be so worried about abandonment and being ignored that this is going to wreck my health as a result of pursuing it. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of our coping mechanisms as children or young adults don't work as well once we start to get deeper into adulthood in the sense that I've noticed it creates a lot of problems and health challenges by working that hard, for me at least. Totally. I couldn't agree more. And I think there's almost this I think your story is the way you've told it is so beautiful and honest. And I feel pretty similar having grown up in a family of four kids and, you know, being the oldest, I was always the one that was kind of setting the path. And my parents were like, okay, we're way too busy to (laughs) figure out what, you know, to do with you. But as long as you're doing well, you know, we'll keep rewarding you with praise and not that they consciously recognize that, but something I'm uncovering over time. But I think There is almost also this increasing societal pressure that equates productivity and quote unquote external success with this never ending hamster wheel, as I like to call it, this kind of continual need to both impress ourselves, impress anyone on social media, impress our families and be rewarded by, you know, a Forbes 30 under 30 list or something of that nature. There's just more and more things that we're trying to collect. And I think we are all getting to the point. And I think this pandemic has really kind of been a starting point in that of questioning, like, is this it? Are we looking for this fulfillment in the right places and starting this kind of bigger conversation around the topics that you all and I love talking about, which is like healing from burnout and this, you know, never ending kind of need to be quote unquote successful. I'm so glad you brought up the Forbes list because, as an aside, you know, there was always sort of this strange desire for me to get awards, you know, yeah. that, that mentality of I need to be on these lists, I need to mm-hmm. win these awards in my field, whatever that, that might manifest as. And I remember Whitney and I have a mutual friend slash acquaintance who was on one of the Forbes lists. And I remember hanging out with her in New York City and was like, wow, you you made this Forbes list. Holy crap. And of course, all the attendant press that comes from something like that. But then once she gave me a little bit more intimate look at what was going on in her life, she was struggling to pay rent. She was struggling Mm -hmm. to keep her business afloat. She was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it this month. And it made me realize that a lot of these sort of societal badges of mainstream success that we, we deign upon people, like a Forbes 30 under 30, the reality of this individual's life was she didn't know how she was going to make ends meet month to month. Mm-hmm. So we have this perception of, oh my God, you're on this Forbes list. But the reality of her life was like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to make it this month. Mm-hmm. And it was just such an eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, it's so interesting. Right. For sure. There's so much that meets the eye, right? And I I think that's big wake-up call. And I'd love to see more people addressing this is, you know, and and one thing I love moving through my discomfort around because we've been trained so much to to show our highlight reels. And yet Mm -hmm. it also seems like 
people are yearning to see our low lights. You know, they want to know that, Mm -hmm. that we too are struggling. And I wonder coming back to this idea, Katina, especially as we see on platforms like TikTok, my observation is TikTok is mostly showing people who are talking about like relatable uh, negative experiences or weird mm. things. And, and people talk very openly about anxiety and depression and their struggles on TikTok. Mm. And that might be part of the poll. Because mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of the popular videos on there, they're, they're topics like this. And in the comment section, it's like, oh my gosh, I can relate to this so much. Thank mm. goodness somebody's showing me this. And I actually find myself wanting to get away from any videos on TikTok that feel like they're too curated and perfect because unless they're super helpful, you know, there's certainly like tutorials on there that it's within their advantage to be very polished, you know, because they're pleasing Mm -hmm. to the eye and fun. And I'm actually trying to train myself to be less polished. And I'm curious if you can relate to this too, Katina. It's like all these years that we've spent building these brands on social media We've been conditioned, uh, whether directly or indirectly, to show ourselves looking polished all the time. And to Mm -hmm. Jason's point, what is the point of that if behind the scenes, it's nothing like it looks like on the surface? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I've been thinking about this on so many different levels. First of all, I have found it so refreshing that Gen Z is like, we don't care about this Instagram perfect world. We are going to be our real selves. And I resonate with that so much because I mean, the entire reason that I started writing about adulting and growing up in this confusing world was because I felt so alone. And I felt like the moment that I entered adulthood, everyone was like, I know where I'm going in my job. I know exactly where I want to be in 10 years. I, you know, have the perfect apartment, the perfect boss, all of these things. And I was like, I cannot be the only one who feels massively confused and like I made a major mistake in, you know, the first step of the rest of my life. Right. So I think that being able to find community and really fight against loneliness, which is a massive epidemic in our world today is so important to be able to connect on those real, you know, struggles that we all experience and then hopefully moving past that in a positive and healthy way. But I think on the other hand, as you said, Whitney, kind of going through these formative years and really, as we just talked about, you know, seeking validation and perfection in a lot of ways as we've been raised and then also building these, you know, outwardly focused kind of curated brands, which at least personally, I've tried to fight against, but it's definitely something that Instagram, you know, and social media in general really promotes. But I think one of my intentions for the past couple of months and moving ahead this year and into the future is to be really honest on a personal level, like with the people that are in my life every day. And I think going back to something you said earlier, Jason, I feel like I have always been the one that people have come to with their problems or, you know, kind of helping them solve things or really being of service in any way that I can. And that's prevented me from exercising this like vulnerability muscle because on one hand I'm like everything's fine I've got it I don't need any help but really there are a lot of things especially after what we've all experienced this year that we need to be more honest about especially in these one-on-one relationships that we have so I think you know that's something I I write a lot about but I think it's something that even on a personal individual level I'm trying to practice as much as I can I'm so glad you said that because I certainly feel like there is this generalized pressure to live up to the idea or the title of what other people hold for us. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like I get so many texts and DMs and emails, not just from, you know, followers and fans on social media, but friends and family members of, you know, I have this back pain. Which supplement should I take for it or what food should I eat? And, you know, on the one hand, I, I love being a human being who's very passionate about health and wellness and well-being and soulfulness and spirituality, but I feel like sometimes it is a bit overwhelming when people 
rely on you. And and to your point, it's about, I think, setting really healthy boundaries and something that I'm certainly working on mm-hmm. because I realized that, you know, one of my fears is speaking my truth. This is something that came up for me this past week of like, oh, I didn't I didn't realize that I had some fear around speaking my truth in life. It's been really interesting to to acknowledge that. You know, one thing I wanted to just kind of swoop into a little bit in talking about what you said, Katina, about, you know, I have the perfect apartment, the perfect job, the perfect boss. I have this great salary and I'm checking off all the proverbial boxes that I think is going to lead to fulfillment and joy and happiness mm-hmm. in my life. I think one thing that I've noticed within myself and in nearly every conversation, some permutation of this has been, I don't know what I'm passionate about anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know what my purpose is anymore. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with my life. Mm-hmm. I feel like this past 12 months has really unearthed in this chrysalis, this cocoon, many friends and colleagues being like, I really don't know what I'm doing or what to call myself or where I even want to go moving forward. And in your book, you know, and on your website that I've been digging into, which are absolutely gorgeous, by the way, I love your design Thank and you. your branding and the feel of it, was this thing that jumped out at me of how to figure out what your passion is in less than 24 hours using mm-hmm. a little known creative exercise. And my brain went, a little known creative <laughs> exercise? What's this? So, you know, personally, I find myself struggling of what in my heart do I want to focus on moving forward in my life? And mm-hmm. I'm curious if you want to share a little bit about this exercise and also mm-hmm. what you would recommend for people who are kind of in this limbo state of, I don't really know what my passion or my mission is anymore. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Of course. I think this is definitely one of my most passionate topics to dive into. But I think one thing I want to kind of preface is for a long time, I really thought that finding your passion was this thing that would kind of be bestowed on you. I think I write about in the book how I thought of it as the sorting hat in Harry Potter, where one day you would just wake up and like go to this thing and it would be like, all right, this is your passion. Here you go. Here's the direct path towards, you know, wherever you want to be. And obviously, I mean, of course, it is not like that at all. But I think on that note, and something we've been talking a lot about is that in our modern world, this idea of passion and purpose has become this like larger than life thing where it's like, if you don't find it, you are screwed and like, you're never going to make it. You're never going to be happy. And I think we were mentioning this a little bit before the recording, but something that I've been so fascinated by is this idea of like little P purpose. And I know, Jason, you know Dan Butner, the Nat Geo researcher who is behind the Blue Zones and um, is really a leader in the longevity space. And one of the things that he talks about is this idea that your passion, first of all, is, as he says, the magic pill for longevity based on his research and findings. But secondly, it doesn't need to be this crazy big thing. It could be just you know, finding community in your apartment building or kind of helping someone on the street or saying hello to your barista at your local coffee shop and really just connecting in these small everyday moments and essentially like being a human. And I think really grounding in that awareness is so important to me and something I've been really excited and like passionate about because I definitely fell into the trap of thinking like my purpose is this big thing that I have to find and once I find it everything will work out and it's definitely not the case. That sounds so much like the plot of the Disney movie Soul which oh Jason God. has not watched yet I so watched I don't want to give either. any Well, I'll spoil it a little for the two of you in that like what you just said is like what the movie is based on. <laughs> And Jason keeps like planning to see it and then his plans get dissolved because he wants to watch it with his girlfriend. But I'm like begging Jason to watch this movie. And now I really encourage you to as well, Katina, because it's like it's going to resonate with both of you so much. And yeah, I wish I could talk about it more openly, but I would be spoiling things and and for the (laughs) listener perhaps as well. So maybe it's for the benefit. But it really touches upon a lot of those things. And it's so amazing to see like, Disney putting that word out. And I wonder if everything that we're going through with our generations will help support the 
younger generations, especially if we have children or are in children's lives and in another capacity, perhaps they won't have to go through these things because of the lessons that we're learning. And the fact that Disney is is creating content like this gives me that hope. And it also reminds me of one of our listeners is one of my family members. And she was telling me that her seven-year-old daughter has so much awareness to the point where the other day, this family member who I like to keep things anonymous, but I'm sure this person knows who they are if they're listening. They said something to their daughter about like food or like something body related comment. And and the daughter responded at at seven years old, hey, don't body shame me. (laughs) Oh my my gosh. I didn't know what the term body shame meant when I was seven years old, but there's more awareness and like confidence about speaking up for yourself. And I just thought, wow, that would be incredible if the younger generations, whatever they are, I don't even know what letter they have or number, what we call the the seven-year-olds. But uh, if they can grow up, like having that self-awareness and looking at life differently and maybe not falling into the traps of shame or should or, or pressure and perhaps, you know, approaching life completely different because people our age are raising these kids, right? So... Yeah. We have done all this work and we're trying to do things differently. And I think that's part of the silver lining. Totally. I couldn't agree more. I feel like the consciousness and everything is really shifting and allowing us to have these more candid and real and inspiring conversations of all ages. I mean, that's such a beautiful story. And I think it's something that kind of going back to what we were saying before that really like society kind of it's not even just our parents or our immediate family or even just our teachers it's you know like the conversations going on in the world as we're growing up and forming our identity really shape how we view our path and what we're capable of and what our place is in the world and i think that it's so important to have these conversations starting at an early age and especially i soul has been on my list for I guess I don't know how long ago it came out, but I've gotten so many messages to watch it. So I feel like it is really up my alley. But I think going back to your question from before, Jason, I just want to make sure that I answer this. I think while all of that being said, there is so much importance and so many questions around this big idea of like, what am I supposed to do? And it really drives a lot of our life. And I think the way that I approach it, I kind of on my blog and also in my book, I have a lot of different exercises to work through this because I believe there are so many different layers, but two of them that I'll just share quickly that people can start to think about wherever they are listening to this is one, it's I call it life as a kid. And I think a lot of times when we're looking for our quote unquote passion and our purpose in life, we're looking ahead and we're looking outside of ourselves to really find what this is. And in my experience, my experience coaching and kind of connecting with the unadulting community and even in my own life, it is already within us. And we kind of just build up these layers over time that gets us further and further away from our core essence. So. I think the first real exercise and way to start to dive into this big question of what is my purpose and passion is really understanding what you love to do as a kid when no one was watching. And I think it's much more layered than just saying like, oh, I loved watching TV or I loved coloring or I loved playing soccer. But it's really getting down to that second layer of what was I doing while doing that thing? So for me, for example, I played a lot of sports growing up and I was really into soccer for a long time. And I was definitely not the like goal scorer or the one that was like really technically involved in footwork or anything, but I was always the one that was motivating people. Like if we were, you know, down a bunch of points or even if we were excited, I was like the one that always was lifting up everyone's spirits and really getting people excited. And I think when I did this exercise myself and kind of came to that conclusion, it was such a beautiful moment for me because I was like, oh, that is a role that I love 
taking. And at the time, I was working in finance, you know, right out of school, working behind many Excel spreadsheets every day for long hours, not really connecting or motivating anyone. And it was such a light bulb moment because I was like, I am so far from what my you know, real essence is. And I've been told all of these things that this is what you do to find success and kind of follow the rules and be seen as someone in our world. But I think that when you really start to allow yourself to uncover that part of you, things start to fall into place. So that's one piece. And then I know, you know, we could kind of talk about that. But another one is this idea of finding your North Star statement. And I won't go into too many details, but this is one of my favorite things to do. And it really is like a guiding compass for how to make decisions in your life and really measure if you're working towards or living closer to that deep purpose that's within you. I just appreciate you sharing those those little tidbits. Yeah. And I certainly want to get my hands Hopefully on an autograph copy of the yes. book. I feel like I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> oh of like gosh, if I order a copy, Katina, you have to sign it for me. Yes. I would say though, that would be nice because I've seen from your Instagram posts, it looks like you have really good handwriting because do you use Procreate to do yes. your images? Uh, I just started okay, I figured. a couple of months ago, but I was like handwriting them for a long time. Which oh, oh, it's so beautiful. Fun. And I'm obsessed with Procreate. So like yes. I was looking at your images. Like I love doing images like that. So encouragement for anyone who hasn't checked out Katina's wonderful Instagram account. It's very visually pleasing. And even the cover of your book, is that your, did you write the word on? I designed the cover actually myself, which on Procreate. Yeah. I, oh, wow. I know. Who knew? I was definitely very new to the book writing world and my editor was like we need a cover and I was like wow you get that and yeah I ended up deciding to do it myself but yes it looks great well done and Jason would have a treat if if he got your signature in there because your handwriting is so good (laughs) yeah no it's really impressive and you know as we're getting closer to the the finish line for this episode I I did want to bring up one thing Katina which is uh looking at your really wonderful brand called Daydreamers Mm, and the thing that really hit me was realizing maybe backtracking to the beginning of our conversation here about you know scrolling incessantly and sort of the neurochemical dangers of being sucked in and being a consumer and not a creator and Mm -hmm. I want to just talk just really quickly for a few minutes here about you know, when we recognize we're engaged in low quality leisure, as you call it with your brand daydreamers, of yeah. the scrolling and the swiping, the streaming and the consuming versus accessing something that's high quality leisure. You talk about creativity, but if someone is so just used to, especially on a neurochemical level of getting the dopamine hit from the scrolling and the streaming, what's one way you would recommend someone pivoting from just consuming low quality leisure time to creating and being engaged in high quality leisure? What's one thing a person can do to make that pivot? That's such an amazing question. And something, yes, just quickly on daydreamers, I was going to bring it up before because it related so much to so much of our conversation. But our purpose is really to help people live a more fulfilled, creative life and reach their creative potential. So much of what we've been talking about today. And I think that what we found through our research and our you know, scientific counsel is that when we engage in creative leisure time, which is in that high quality leisure bucket, we actually allow ourselves to get into this theta brainwave, which is the brainwave that we emitted as children and is connected to actually like deep levels of meditation and mindfulness. And it's essentially entering that flow state and it allows for, you know, better memory, better relaxation and better connection. And I think that making that switch from getting that, you know, high intensity dopamine hit is difficult at first for sure. But I think that kind of creating these micro goals to allow yourself to achieve these changes, to start to get into that parasympathetic nervous system and really start to slow yourself down is a really important small shift you can make. So starting to say, 
maybe instead of scrolling for 30 minutes when I wake up in the morning, I will just look at my phone for five and kind of check what I need to. Or even better, I might set my phone on airplane mode overnight so that I'm not bombarded with these notifications from the moment that I wake up and I could really leverage that slow, calm part of my brain for my morning routine. So really allowing yourself to start to make small shifts and setting yourself up for success. And then as you kind of start to practice this more, you can incorporate more things like creative practice or spending time outside in nature that also helps us shift into that nervous system. But I think that there's a lot of really the highlight here is focusing on tiny ways to kind of shift your actions and then creating more space in your life for that theta brainwave. You're so articulate with all of this and and yet so so peaceful. And I, I just love your style because it just feels like helpful information without coming across like, I don't even know what word I would use. Well, you know, it's so funny. Right before this, my fiance is actually my co-founder for Daydreamers, and he's much more on the like strategy side of things, strategy and operations and business. He worked in finance previously as well, and I'm more on the behavior change side. And I was just saying, like, I find it really hard to talk in a way that's has a lot of jargon in it without making it feel relatable. So sometimes it could come across as not as like scientific. And he was like, that's your superpower, I think. Like, Mm -hmm. I think you should really lean into that. So we were just saying that right before this conversation. So I'm thank you for (laughs) that validation. (laughs) Yes, of course. I know it feels good to be reflected back (laughs) because, you know, like you're saying, as much as we don't want to, it's still feels good to receive external validation because sometimes we do need to be reminded. And I think that kind of ties up this conversation. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not just about tapping into the internal sides of ourselves because we do live in a world that's very focused on the external. Yeah. So we do need to take into consideration how other people perceive us. and, And sometimes that helps remind us who we really are at our core. So maybe ultimately it's about finding that balance there, or perhaps it's like a 55% internal and 45% external. 55 is one of our favorite numbers too. So that really works for us. That's amazing. But uh, yeah, it's like our power number, 55. So Good to know. I like that. Maybe that's been the answer all along, Jason. <laughs> 55%. Solved that, maybe this whole time it's just been right there. But you know what? I feel like that's such a wonderful bow to wrap on this episode in the yeah. sense that I feel like so many things, not to be cliche in the whole spirituality wellness thing, but I find that I have so many layers of conditioning mm-hmm. and belief and BS that generally cloud what I already know to be true. And I just need to gently and lovingly learn to remove those layers to get to like, oh, it was inside me all the time. So you say that, Whitney, like 55, but it kind of is a metaphor for me I'm finding in like, oh, you actually do know what's true and resonant and real for yourself. You just need to like cut cut through the crap on top to get there. Yes. And I think that's one of the best pieces of advice that you shared today, Katina, and I'm so grateful for that. And also the opportunity to reflect that back on you and that your style, I think, does resonate with a lot of people, including us. We are not huge fans of this kind of expert yeah. trend of people like wanting to be right and on top and, and be in charge and all of that time. There, there's a time and place for that, but there's so many people right now who are obsessed with being like, the expert and finding, you know, the students all the time. But maybe it is about being on the same level, the leveling the playing field and saying like, we can all learn something from one another. And being relatable is actually very valuable, especially to the younger generations. They want to feel understood. Exactly. And I've certainly found this to be true on TikTok. Like, yeah, and I think it's it's so interesting because as we were saying earlier, like Instagram feels like the place where people go and try to show how great they are. And TikTok feels like the place where people go and show like how relatable they are yeah. and, and that maybe we're all as great as one another, which I think is is really the case anyway. So yeah. 
I'm excited to follow that journey. I'm going to link to your TikTok in our show notes for the listener who wants to go check out. Maybe that'll be your introduction to TikTok for those of you who have not been using the platform. And you're also busting that that cliche myth that it has to be dancing where you're just sitting there sharing wonderful knowledge. And I love accounts like yours that, you know, it's not about a performance. It's about sharing from the heart. So thanks again for doing that on TikTok, on the show, on your Instagram and your book. We're going to link to it all at wellevator.com for our listeners. If you haven't been to our site before, it's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And Katina, thanks again for your time. And it looks like we're going to wrap at the 55 minute mark oh my God. today, which like feels oh like God. perfect timing, <laughs> even though this episode will probably be shorter <laughs> than 55 minutes. For us on our recording end, it looks like we're going to hit that mark, which just feels like it's the way it's supposed to be. And we would love to hear from you, the listener, any feedback you have on this episode. You can reach out to us on Instagram as well, on TikTok, on our website. Through our email, we're here for you. And, you know, we'll link to Katina's website where you can reach out to her too privately if that feels good. I'm not volunteering that you (laughs) dish out a lot of private advice, Katina, but I have a feeling that you probably send wonderful direct messages. So I'm I'm gonna put that out there, encourage people to reach out and, and share if they found you through us in this episode. And thanks again for everything. We look forward to following your your journey. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me and holding such a beautiful space. So I'm really excited. I'm glad that we got to connect and excited to connect with who any whoever hears this podcast and would like to reach out. So thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.